Welcome to the new world of work. I'm Adi Ignatius, Editor-in-Chief of Harvard Business Review. And each week on this show, we meet with a, I, I sit down with a, a top-tier CEO and talk about various aspects of the future of work, you know, how we collaborate together, how we innovate together, really what's the best way of, 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 of growing and, and growing together going forward. So before I introduce this week's guests, I want to um, make a quick note of our, from our sponsor, Unisys. Unisys is an IT company that builds critical solutions trusted by demanding businesses and governments around the world. They partner with clients to enable cloud transformation, protect critical operations, and empower the modern workforce. Visit unisys.com to learn more. So our guest this week is Hubert Joly, the former chair and CEO of Best Buy. In 2012, Hubert, who's a French-American citizen, took over a Best Buy, the company that seemed destined to be wiped out by Amazon, and he led a remarkable turnaround. By the time he stepped down as CEO in 2019 and as chair last year, the company was back on top with increases in revenue, market share, margin, customer satisfaction, and more. Hubert is currently a senior lecturer at Harvard Business School, and he is author of the new book, The Heart of Business, Leadership Principles for the Next Era of Capitalism, which is a Wall Street Journal bestseller. Full disclosure, HBR is the publisher of that book, proud publisher. So Hubert, welcome. It's uh, it's really great, great to have you. Thank you for having me. I look forward to our conversation. All right, well, let's do it. So let's start with Best Buy. I mean, you know, I, I talked about your role in the amazing turnaround of Best Buy. I mean, if there was ever a company that seemed likely to be wiped out by the forces of, of e-tail and Amazon, it would be Best Buy. How in the world is Best Buy still around? You're right. I mean, back in 2012, everybody thought we were going to die. There was zero buy recommendations uh, yeah. on, on the stock. I think there's a few lessons that can be learned from that that are actually very relevant to this very challenging times we're in. The first thing, it was a very people-centric turnaround. Everybody was saying, you better cut, 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 close doors, fire a lot of people, you know, the usual recipe of turnarounds. No, it started with listening to the frontliners. They had all of the answers. And I first I spent my first week in a store in SunCloud uh, with my blue shirt and my khaki pants, a badge called, you know, CEO in training, to just listen to the frontliners. They had all of the answers, and our job was uh, was easy. So it was. we talked today about empathy. I think it was empathetic listening to the frontliners and to the customers addressing the, the pain points. And so the other thing was about, you know, as it's to people, headcount reduction is a last resort. You know, as leaders, we need to first focus on growing the top line. And as it relates to cost, first focus on the what I call the non-salary expenses, which is all of the elements of the cost structure that have nothing to do with people, in which at most companies is the majority of the cost structures. Out of the $2 billion we uh, took out uh, in terms of cost, about 70% was non-salary uh, uh, expenses. So a lot of uh, people focus, it's about creating energy, right? A company at the end of the day, and you and I have talked about this, is a human organization made of individuals working together in pursuit of a goal. And so as leaders, sometimes we focus too much on the what to do. The how is very important in finding ways to create that energy by co-creating the plan, getting going, celebrating wins. So that was the, the first uh, phase. The second phase, which is also very relevant today, is about purpose, right? If I had joined the company and said, the key thing we're gonna do in the next few years is double the share price or the earnings per shares, who would have cared at the company? This is not motivating. And so what we did a few years into the journey was to redefine who we were 
And we said, we are not actually a consumer electronics retailer. We're a company that's in the business of enriching lives through technology by addressing key human needs. And the beauty of that is, number one, it's inspiring, but also it vastly expands the addressable market. So as companies are hit by this crisis, sometimes you need to, to grow, you need to redefine what ultimate needs you're serving. And so you align the entire company uh, uh, around this. That was the second key thing. The, the, the third that I would highlight, there's many, many lessons, but mm -hmm. the, we'll get into the, the The third one is that I learned so much about, you know, the old method of top-down management, you know, take a bunch of smart people, they define what to do and they tell other people what to do. They put incentives in place. That doesn't work, right? I think motivation is it's leadership from the inside out. Try to define, and that's a good moment actually to do it now. Uh, what's important to me in my life? What kind of a leader do I want to be? What kind of purpose do I want to pursue? And what is driving people around me? And connect, help everybody at the company connect what drives them with their work and with the purpose of the company. That's how we unleash human magic and, and get these incredible results. So these are three important themes in the industry that go beyond just the specifics of the Best Buy story. Yeah, so there, there's several, I want to follow up on, on several of these things. Um, so forgetting the specifics of, of Best Buy for the moment and you know, a technology company and how you tried to reinvent yourself. So the, the sequence, I guess, I mean, as you said, you went on a listening tour initially. So I think you're saying that to, to create a, a winning strategy, you kind of need to go deep into the company and connect with employees before you can even start to figure out what is the new mission, what is the strategy. Is, is that and what In fact, in, in our case, it's a bit analogous to the IBM turnaround that Lou Gershner did in the mm -hmm. early 90s, right? He said the last thing that IBM needs at this point is a vision, we need execution. In our case, the, the, we found that the world needed Best Buy as customers for some, some of our purchases. We need a place where we can touch, feel uh, the products and ask questions. And, and importantly, the vendors also needed us. Our problem was that, uh, you know, we had all of our problems were self-inflicted. Our execution was terrible. The prices were too high. You know, our online shopping experience was. So it's a case where, yeah, starting with listening to what's happening on the front line to know what's going on, and then it's a case where operational progress creates strategic degrees of freedom. So sometimes, you know, logically we say we need strategy first and then execution. In this case, you flip it. Mm -hmm. It's it's uh, uh, operational progress before strategy. So that, because if you know if your prices are not competitive or your website is not working, there's no point in doing strategy, right? So we started with a very incremental. Let's fix everything that's broken, and then over time we elevated our game to define that new purpose and a whole new set of very very exciting strategies. But it, it took time. Yeah. So you use the term human magic, and I don't want to blow by that and you know it's in your book and you know you're familiar with it you're sort of throwing around but what is human magic what do you mean by that human magic is when at scale you have employees that do things for each other and for customers that nobody has told them to do so to illustrate the point one day there is a uh, a young mother who comes to a store with her young child and for holiday the child that had a dinosaur as a gift the bad news is the sad news is the dinosaur is sick. The way we know this is the head is dismantled from the body, so very sick. Yeah, that's sick. <laughs> yes, and the child doesn't want a new dinosaur. He wants the dinosaur to be uh, uh, fixed, to be saved. And so, at most stores, you know, you would have been maybe sent to the toy aisle, and with some luck, you would have found a, a new dinosaur. But that's not what the child wanted. And what happened on that store, that Best Buy store, when he came in Florida, there's two associates who understood what was going on. And they took the sick dinosaur, 
they went behind a counter and they started to perform, like in Good Doctor on Amazon, you know, a surgical procedure, step by step, explaining to the child, you know, the steps they were taking. Of course, as, as if they were doctors. Yes, yeah. they were doctors. And in fact, we gave them badges <laughs> as, you know, dinosaur doctors. Substituted, of course, a new dinosaur and gave the child a cured dinosaur. Now, do you think, Eddie, that at the time there was a standard operating procedure at Best Buy on how to deal with sick dinosaur, or even better, maybe a, a memo from me, the very smart CEO, on how to deal with? Of course not. They found it in their heart to make that customer, that, that little child, not even a customer, that child and that mother very happy. And so I think from a leadership perspective, in particular at this time of great resignation, mm -hmm. right, how do we, our role as leaders, is to create an environment where people naturally, from their heart, want to do this. And one of the things we've learned during that uh, turnaround journey was that the old Bob, uh, 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 Bob McNamara top-down you know, mm -hmm. management simply doesn't work. Incentives don't work. You have to find, you have to help people connect what drives them, which is the golden rule. Everybody wants to do something good to other people and see how it connects to their, to their work. Create an environment that's very human where there's genuine human connection, where if we're working at the same company, which we are because we both mm -hmm. work for Harvard, you know, we're, we, we get to know each other. It's a safe environment. Uh, my compatriot, René Descartes, mm -hmm. uh, the Cartesian philosophy, mm -hmm. said, uh, I think, therefore I am. I think he's wrong. He's dead, but he was wrong. <laughs> it's I am seen, therefore I am. I, I exist. My boss knows what drives me, knows my struggle, knows me, as a human being, respects me as a human being, and is interested in how, what my dreams are. We had a store general manager in Boston uh, who would ask every one of the associates in the store, what is your dream? At Best Buy, outside of Best Buy, what is your dream? It's a very practical question we can ask everybody around us. Okay, write it down in the break room for everybody to see. And then he said, my job is to help you achieve your dream. Uh, and that's the kind of leadership behavior with a lot of uh, human focus, empathy, uh, focus on each individual. Size doesn't matter, right? I don't care whether you have a company with 1,000 people or a million people. It's one individual at a time where you can focus on creating the environment where they can become the best, biggest, most beautiful version of themselves. Yeah. So I think what you're saying, if we all had done that, the dinosaurs would not be extinct. <laughs> um, but, so, but to follow up on that, is the, is the issue about empowering people, respecting them and empowering them, or inspiring them to you know create a little magic in in their work lives so i think day. it's a set of ingredients and in the heart of business of course being french if you allow me you know i have ingredients for a recipe <laughs> uh, and there's multiple ingredients one i think that i think the company focused on a noble purpose doing something good in the world uh, like in our case of this by enriching lives through technology is important because it, it focuses on you know something bigger than ourselves that's important uh, but the second thing is, so we need the purpose. We need values. We need, we need to know what the values are. So that because values are what people do when nobody's watching, right? We need some principles. And then we need clarity around decision making. And uh, that's one of the things I've learned during that journey is that uh, as the CEO, I make very, very few decisions. And the key for me is to push them down as far as possible. So the, you know, that the, these blue shirts in my, exa my, my, my example, they knew they had the power. They were empowered in their store mm -hmm. to do this. And with the sense of, we're here to ch to create happiness, right? And I have this, uh, and it, it's uh, an, uh, a colleague, Amy Edmondson talks about creating a safe environment, right? Uh, and um, 
Cammy Scarlett, our head of HR, you know, one day in a big conference in front of everybody says, do you know what SOP stands for, right? Normally in retail, it's standard operating procedure. She said, no, 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 it's service over policy, mm. right? And early on when I joined, we said that we should stop doing anything that's either stupid, goofy, or crazy. That's a, that was the extent of the, of the new policy, <laughs> right? And so you empower people. If you see something, you know, do something, uh, and it's creating that sense that, uh, yes, I can make a difference. I can create a world around me. Uh, and that's not, you know, initially you can take that's going to be chaos. No, because if you have this purpose, the purpose, the values, the principles, clarity about, you know, what people are doing, you know, you, that's how you unleash human mm-hmm. magic. It's so beautiful to see because there was a point, Eddie, where I said, I've actually lost control of this operation. I mean, it's cl- completely out of my hands now. <laughs> and that's when the performance started yeah, to skyrocket. Amazing. So if you just joined us, this is HBR's The New World of Work. My guest is Hubert Jody, the former CEO of Best Buy. If you have questions for Hubert, please uh, type them in and we'll try to get to some. And the questions can be in French and or in English. Uh, or Chinese. Or, you know, uh, what, Chinese. What, whatever yeah. it is. Um, so I have one question about flexible work. Um, yes. If I understand things right, when you came to Best Buy, there had been a flexible work program. Yes. But your initial response was, yeah, let's let's get people together. We're we're, I guess, building a culture, you know. So so talk about you know what you were trying to achieve and how that how that played out. And then what would be relevant today, because of course that yeah, was exactly. in, in 2012. So yep. the, when I joined the company, there was a program called Row Results Only Work Environment, uh, which was well intentioned. It was the idea that uh, what really matters in a sense is results and everybody gets to decide how they how they do the work and, and specifically where they do the work. And as manager, you wouldn't, you know, have a say on whether people would join a meeting or would be. Uh, and uh, my team was very divided around this. Right? You know, there was uh, team members that said, you know, this is not a way to work. Other people say, well, you know, this is not the biggest issue we have to deal with, frankly. And because they were not able to decide, I had to look into this. And we decided to kill the program for a variety of reasons. One, the assumption of the program was that delegation is always the right leadership approach. And I think that's fundamentally flawed. Sometimes, I mean, if you ask me to, to, to build a brick wall, you're going to need to be very directive because I have no interest in building it and I don't know how. So you need to really tell me. The other thing is that the ship was sinking. And at the time, remember, there was no Zoom, there was no team. The only way you could communicate remotely was through you know, conference calls, which is not really a very effective way to uh, have intensive, uh, life-saving, you know, problem-solving moments. So I said, let's... Uh, Let's suspend the program yeah. uh, and let's uh, uh, all hands on deck. And, and of course, today we've all learned that, uh, you know, we've been very, very productive, certainly for certain activities uh, working remotely. Some of the work still needed to be done in stores or in hospitals, frankly. Uh, and of course, technology uh, was there. Uh, one of the key questions that uh, as leaders, we are all trying to figure things out is, how do we reinvent work in that, in that context? But the context to, in 2012 was very different. Yeah, no, for sure. Although I'd like to talk to you about then 2021. Yes. Because um, the, you know, what, what we're writing about by and large is that, well, actually we, we our, our stories uh, contradict one another in some yeah. ways. Because, you know, there's some people who think you, you really need, you know, leadership, leadership needs to step up and just say, this is what we're doing. And that people will, will adapt and remember what it was like to be in the office together. On the other hand, we're publishing articles that say, no, you know, that, that what people, what workers desire now is agency and flexibility. And, and we're, you're right, we're talking about a certain strata of, of, of non-frontline employees, you know, who are lucky enough to have the option. So that's, make that clear. 
so fine, we're productive remotely, we're productive and hybrid, but there is the cultural aspect that we haven't solved for. And it may be that that's what we need to solve for, how to, how to create and sustain cultures effectively in a dispersed world that you know, we're certainly not good at. But, but you have sort of done the culture work before. What do you think about all that? Yeah, this is, this is probably one of the top two or three greatest challenges we're facing. Right? So on your show, Satya, you know, this was a wonderful interview, talked about the big reshuffle so there's because there's so many things happening at the same time. You have the great resignation, as yep. we call it. People have taken the time to step back and think about what's important. So they, they, they're really rethinking, they're leaving uh, companies. There's um, diverging points of view, right? So some of Many of the employees want the flexibility. They also want the intimacy. Mm-hmm. And then there's the question, if you're a big company like uh, Amazon or Microsoft or, you know, Apple or Best, how do you decide and who should decide? And uh, is it, should it be uniform across the entire company? Should it be uniform during the... So I think people are rethinking. I think it's actually a great opportunity because work had been structured in the same way for scores of you know many, many years. And so I see it as an opportunity. It's very challenging because we don't know what the future is going to be you know, like with Omicron and, and everything. Mm-hmm. But it's the opportunity to work with the employees on what's the best uh, approach and so I see uh, people trying to push this down. So this should be decided not at the company level, but at the team level, whatever that means, uh, and that we should uh, involve them in the decision making. They should be empowered to make decisions. And you're seeing people say, you know, it should be uniform. There's some tasks that are extremely well done remotely, like coding, you know, can mm-hmm. be, uh, but maybe, you know, design of a new product that's different or onboarding new employees. There's mm-hmm. some cultural moments or big team meetings where we're trying to, do a strategy, you know, then you, I think having people huddle. And so um, I think that there's a big puzzle. And I think the only thing we know is that we don't know. And that's, I think that's a a great leadership trend today is to be able to say, my name is Hubert. I don't know. I'm going to need help. We're going to figure this out. We're going to experiment. I'm not seeing anybody who says, I have got the definitive answer on that. So I I think we're going to see a lot of experimentation in the next few quarters, we're going to see things emerge and best practices. Yep. The idea of the leader banging their fist on the table and saying, that's the way it is. I don't think so. Yeah. So, so I'm actually going to go to the first audience question now, which is apropos, as Renee Descartes would say. Um, this is from Marilyn O'Hearn from Kansas City, Missouri. Um, so it really is, it, it, it's, it's a question about, about purpose during the Great Reshuffle, but, but specifically, on diversity and inclusion, you know, issues I know you care about a lot and talk about a lot, you know, how do you move forward with a commitment to diversity and inclusion when you're in a kind of virtual or, or hybrid uh, work situation? Yeah, so I think that's irrespective of whether it's hybrid or not, you have to start with a, a very clear point of view that diversity and inclusion is not a nice to have uh, thing, it's a business imperative. Right? If your team does not represent the customers you're trying to serve or the communities in which you operate, you're going to miss how stupid would it be, you know, for, if we, you and I were partners in a business, so we're going to decide to recruit from only a quarter of the population, right? People like who look like you and I, right? That'd be, that'd be, I think it'd be crazy and, and stupid. Uh, so you have to build diversity uh, in the context of hybrids. So make it, a, and by the way, make it a, a business priority because people have been talking about it. Mm-hmm. And for many years, it was just, you know, a bragging opportunity. Look at everything I've done and then nothing happened. So what I'm seeing now happening is that businesses, leaders 
uh, considering this is a business issue. And do we know how to deal, how to deal with business issues in the business world? Yes, we do. Uh, and so we do the diagnosis, we do the work, we set goals. Boards are now holding management teams accountable. We track progress. We do all of the work. In the context of hybrid work, there's new challenges that have emerged, right? And I think in particular of gender diversity. I think we're, we've seen uh, women leave the workforce, you know, in great numbers. That's a problem. Um, the uh, people don't have the same setup at home. For those, you know, for, from a, a work from home standpoint, not everybody's got the same setup. How do we deal with this? There's also diversity around health conditions. Uh, and so there's a business imperative now from, for leaders to be human leaders, right? Mm -hmm. And to really connect with their team members, their colleagues. And a great question that I know people ask in their empathetic listening tours is, what are you struggling with? I may or may not be able to solve your struggle, but it's reach out because here's the scoop. Everybody is struggling, right? So we might as well say it loud and understand what are the struggles, understand it at the individual level, at the at the community level, at the group yeah. level. I'm seen, therefore I am. Yeah. I am seen, therefore I am. Yeah. Empath empathy is not a word that we were using much five years ago in, in, in the business world. Yeah. I think this is maybe the key word today. Yeah. You mentioned in the book, the book is The Heart of Business, and I urge uh, anyone who's interested in all these topics to to buy it. Thank you. Again, full disclosure, we are the, the publisher of it. And the proceeds go to the Best Buy Teen Tech Centers, which help disadvantaged teenagers get access to technology skills. Yeah, well, now so it, would be, it would be selfish not to buy the book. Right? Exactly. Um, but you write in the book that, that and, and you know, the data, you know, I've seen elsewhere as well, that most people feel indifferent when it comes to the work they do or the company that they work for. What... What what can leaders do about that? This is a tragedy, right? Of last, you know, human happiness and frankly productivity. I remember my first job when I was sixteen. So many of us worked as teenagers. I was putting price tags on vegetable cans in a supermarket in the north of France. Uh, and one day I got hit by a forklift, uh, which damaged my my spine in the back mildly, but I got uh, uh, on, on leave. I was in heaven because I didn't need to work and I was paid. And so many of us have these, you know, soulless uh, uh, jobs. So for me, that's the key thing as leaders is that uh, if we are able to connect with people around us, and it starts with people around us, right? Uh, and truly understand who they are, uh, what's driving them, and how, you know, their pursuits, the pursuit of their dream can be accomplished through their work. Because we, we talk about work-life balance as if life was outside of work. Mm -hmm. That's a crazy thought. We spend a great chunk of our time you know, working. We have to think, is work a punishment because some dude sinned in paradise? Or, is, or can work be part of our search for meaning and our fulfillment as individuals? Clearly, I, I vote for the latter. And I think a key responsibility we have as leaders is, is be that person who can create that environment where people can be themselves and can find happiness in in their job. It's doable. It doesn't need to be, you know, rocket scientists or people working in hospitals or in healthcare or in Calcutta. It can, we, we've done it at scale, you know, at, at Best Buy, you know, which some people might say, well, that's not a very exciting. It's, you know, the happiness of serving customers. Oh my God. So here's another question that, that I think is right on topic. This is from Stephanie from, Heidelberg, Germany. So the question is, you know, what do you do if a leader doesn't 
create an environment that allows employees to be the best versions of themselves? What do you do? So the most important decision we make as leaders may well be who we put in positions of leadership. And I made a mistake, uh, Eddie, uh, for many years, as putting most of my emphasis on experience and expertise. I wanted the best e-commerce person, the best marketing person, the best supply chain person. Now I place much more emphasis on who is this person? What kind of a leader is this? The ultimate interview question I was asked when I was applying for the, the job of CEO at Kelson Companies was by Marilyn Kelson Nelson, the daughter of the founder, and it was to, to replace her as the as CEO of the company. She asked me, Hubert, tell me about your soul. It's such a it's such a great question, right? What drives the individual? What kind of impact do they want to leave? How do they want to be remembered? So that's what I focus on. And to the question, it's a great question. We do the two by two matrix, right? Great performer who is not behaving uh, uh, from a leadership standpoint. You have a choice. If you if you tolerate, you've just told the entire organization. It's you know this thing about values and leadership behaviors that just talk. We really only care about results. Or you act, which maybe we start having a conversation. You know, Adi, I've noticed in the last meeting, you made disparaging comments about Mary. How do you feel about this? Do you feel it's in line with our, uh, the leadership behaviors we've, we've, we've accepted? And if Adi, you say, well, that's, that's me, that's how I am. I ask you, is it in your DNA that, you know, <laughs> or would you like to change? And if, uh, and Alan Modelli is my role model on this. Mm -hmm. If you say, no, this is, this is who I am, I say, that's okay, that's okay. You simply cannot work here, but that's okay. You know, we'll still love you, right? Or if you want help, you know, we can give you a coach and we can help you change. But uh, this is a leadership moment to decide and not let go, right? You you just can't let it happen. Yeah. So I've noticed, so I want to go sort of to higher altitude for a second. So like me, you often talk about how the sort of Milton Friedman era is over. And, you know, and maybe this is a caricature of what Milton Friedman actually believed, but in his name for the past 50 years, you know, companies by and large, certainly U.S. companies have pursued a sort of, you know, shareholder first approach to business, feeling it's the fiduciary duty yeah. of the CEO. So so I think we agree that era is over. But what, you know, so that was 50 years maybe of that. What what do you expect the next 50 years will look like? So the, the, the model or the principle I, you know, advocate for in the book, The Heart of Business, is one that places a noble purpose as the North Star of business. Business needs to be a force for good, do good things in the world. Otherwise, you don't have a license to operate. And it's a great way, as we've demonstrated in the case of Best Buy, to you know, grow and do good things you know, in, in the company. It's, a, it's the idea of, as we've demonstrated at Best Buy, of putting people at the center. People are not a resource. They're not a problem. They're the source. They're the engine, I mean, whether you're a tech company or a service company, it's the same. They're, it's always people at the center and creating the environment where you can unleash that magic. It's a model where you have to start with a declaration of interdependence, where you embrace all stakeholders. Because business, we used to believe that business could be successful in isolation. Well, if the planet is on fire, you know, Larry Fink of BlackRock said, that's the bis, bis, uh, biggest business risk we have. Or in Minneapolis, that's where Best Buy is headquartered after the murder of George Floyd. If the city is on fire, you cannot open your stores, right? You cannot run a business. So you have to make sure that the impact you have in the world is positive on all of the stakeholders and refuse zero-sum games. 
another pandemic we have in the world is the pandemic of zero sum games. Like the only way for this LinkedIn life to go well is if you do well and I do poorly. That's crazy, right? <laughs> so we have to You're see. winning, by the way. No, no. Anyway. And then you treat profit as an outcome, not as the goal. Now, this is easy to say, and I think most people today agree that this is the, the, the right direction. We also know from experience that this is really hard to do because it challenges it requires to reinvent most of the way business has been done. And it starts with ourselves, right? So key message in this new world for leaders is, uh, you know, it, it, during COVID, if you couldn't go outside, you had to go inside and spend time with yourself and start with, you know, what kind of impact do I leave? Do I want to leave? You know, why am I working? What's the purpose of my work? How do I want to be remembered? My wonderful wife, Hortense, who, uh, is an executive leadership coach, she asked her clients to write down their eulogy. Hmm. Right? How, what do I want people to say on that day where I won't be there to, mm -hmm. to listen? Or in the new CEO program here at HBS that we do with, uh, with Nitin and Michael Porter, we, we ask the new CEOs to write down their retirement speech. Mm -hmm. if, you, if you start that conversation about the kind of capitalism we want with this reflection, then I think it, it changes everything, right? Because I think there's good in the heart of most people. So that's, I think that's the direction. At the same time, I think we have to realize there's a few ticking time bombs we have, you know, the, the planet, society, racism, you know, there's a few uh, things. And our responsibility as leaders, it's a big moment for all of us, is to create a future that does not exist yet, right? But that needs to be, that needs to deal with these time bombs and needs to be better than what we have today. Yeah. So I want to take one more question from uh, from the audience. So this is from Badria from Cedar Park, Texas in the US. Um, so the question is, what if the sophisticated culture you're building for the company doesn't work for some of your potential clients? How do you deal with clients who don't share the purposeful culture that you practice? Well, um, the first thing I would say is that uh, our focus is incredibly client focused, right? So, so we are here to make you happy as a customer. So maybe this uh, individual can email me after class <laughs> and I can see what you know challenge they, 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 they have. Our focus is, is entirely on uh, helping people be, live a better life through, through technology. Now, sometimes what happens, and that's a trend that exists, right? As companies and CEOs, we are asked to, and, and we have to weigh in on a wide range, wider and wider range of societal issues, you know, whether it's the environment, uh, whether it's uh, immigration, whether it's uh, it's racism as well. Um, and I think that there's this trend. And, and Bill George, uh, another professor here, and I have written a case on the Georgia uh, voting rights law, and with a discussion of should business be involved in matters like this. Five mm -hmm. years ago, nobody would have asked us sure. to do this, right? Or following the murder of George Floyd, you know, what posture do you take on uh, the inclusion of black African-American leaders? My view is that this is not, uh, in a sense, not about politics. It's about doing the, the things that are important to the business and to your values, your purpose, your employees. So for me, in building an environment that's very inclusive of our black African-American, it's a business imperative making sure that it's easy for everyone to vote on you know, the, the Tuesday in November, mm -hmm. providing PTO on uh, election day. Um, these are things that business get involved. Now, there's some cases, you know, where, because uh, there's sensitive topics. Guns is another one, right? Mm -hmm. uh, not everybody's going to love you. So you're going to get some hate mail. 
But if you're driven by your purpose, your values, what's right for your employees and and your business, I think then if you get some hit mail, you know that's that's hard. Uh, but that's 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 unfortunately the, the, the way it is. Yeah, and there's the client question. I mean, I guess it was Michael Jordan who said Republicans buy sneakers too, you know, so, which for him, he didn't really advocate for certain, uh, you know, black causes because he didn't want to alienate people who didn't want to hear it. But but I, I, my question, the question I want to ask is, you know, 50 years from now, when we look at this era, do you think we'll say, wow, you know, that was that was a very charged, you know, socially, politically, woke, whatever you want to call it. And when we talked about leadership, it was sort of empathy and not about the stuff we used. You know, do you think we'll look at this as a as a, a kind of unusual moment? Or again, has have things fundamentally changed and we're in a different place? I think we'll look, I'm hoping, you know, and that's, uh, hope is not a good strategy, but I'm, I'm hoping that 50 years from now, well, I'm not sure I'm going to be around at that time, but let's call it 30 years from now. Uh, that will say, this is a generation of leaders who realized that the world was not working, right? We had uh, health issues, economic issues, societal issues, racial issues, environmental issues. And they did what they needed to do to change the trajectory of humanity. And that they avoided a major blow up with the environment. They were able to build a more include, to overcome, uh, you know, uh, these uh, the hatred or the lack of understanding to rebuild society. This is not a given, right? So we're right in the middle of this, but this is what's at stake. And it's interesting to hear our business leaders talk about this. Uh, that's our, because I feel that business businesses, large companies in particular, are large, are very large institutions. They may be the most powerful institutions we have because of other institutions having decayed or not being at the table. And then I think about business leaders have, having this responsibility to do their best. That's the only thing they can do to create a better future and be a force for good in the world. And at least within the realm of their responsibilities, uh, do some good. Mm -hmm. uh, that's our response. Now, is that going to happen? That's for us to decide. Mm -hmm. it's, it's the history. The chapter is being written now. What's exciting for me personally is I feel we are at the beginning of a new era. And you know, it's our it's our decision. Every one of us as leaders, and everybody's a leader because at minimum they're leaders of the, of their lives, gets to decide now what kind of future and what impact you know everybody can have. And yeah. it's that just around us. I like that. And and for everyone listening as well, I mean, you know, we're all sort of at the ground floor of something. Yeah. And uh, it, it can be what it what we make it. Um Uber, thank you very much for joining us. It was really fantastic talking to you today. Thank you, Eddie. That was a treat. Great. Thank you. So um to those of you watching, if you if you like conversations like this uh, and want more, um, sign up for our newsletter. Uh, go to hbr.org slash newsletters. You can sign up for the New World of Work uh, newsletter that I write every week. Uh, and thank you for being with us. Tune in next week. Uh, it'll be Wednesday, December 8th at 12 noon uh, Eastern time, where my guest will be Rosalind Brewer, who is the CEO of Walgreens Boots Alliance and one of only two black female CEOs uh, of a Fortune 500 company. She and I will be talking about the diversity challenge in today's workplace and about her plans to, to remake uh, Walgreens. So tune in then, and thank you for being with us.